You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. that has uh, been on my heart that I avoided for a while, and then one that uh, God put on someone else's heart to say, hey, Jamin, you've been avoiding this for a while. So here we go. I am not avoiding it anymore. And uh, since we are also trying to do a little series in Luke, we're just going to bring it right into Luke where, where we actually find a message like this being preached. So John the Baptist, last time we preached on Luke a few weeks back, uh, we saw the story of of his supernaturally set up birth. Um, Before Jesus comes about, there's an Elijah figure sent forward. The Elijah figure is supposed to make the way straight for Jesus to come forward. So you get this kind of back-to-back supernatural birth story, similar to the ones that we have in the Old Testament where there's people who are barren and can't have babies and then suddenly have babies at crazy old ages. That is John's parents. They're at a very old age. You wouldn't expect them to have a baby, and then they have a baby. And so we know that whoever this child is and whoever he becomes, he is an intentional part of God's story to pave the way forward in some way. And as we get to know him, we realize that he's the the prophesied Elijah figure who will put things straight for the Messiah to come. So we get to know John the Baptist a little bit in Luke 3, 1 through 17. Let me read it to you. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Atria and Traconis and Lysinus, tetrarch, tetrarch of Abilene. This is all gibberish, where we? I meant to start somewhere else. During the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God, all right, this is where it gets good. All right. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. John the Baptist isn't the happiest evangelist. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. 
As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was an intense evangelist. And a lot of times when we do evangelists, uh, evangelism today, we kind of get this like epic convicting message about God and his love. And then just see the masses come forward. And then it's like, okay, great. We saved them. Let's move on get to the next place. We're out of the Methodist tradition. And in the Methodist tradition, John Wesley thought that was a sin. When he was founding Methodism, he realized, you know, if we're going to save people, we've got to like get them into groups of some sort that then grow them up within the faith so that they don't just get stuck, so that they don't just receive Jesus and then go on with their lives. And that's a lot of times what American Christianity has seemed to be like. Get out there, save the masses, great, let's move on to the next town. But John the Baptist, he wasn't for that. In fact, there were people that came to his revival services where he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I know what you've done. I know what you're currently doing. You want, you want to receive a baptism of repentance? You know, repentance is not just like, get ready, repentance is changing your life around. Are you going to change your life around if you're going to be baptized? And a bunch of them are like, what, what, is, what is my life being changed around even look like, John? Well, you're a tax collector. You're always robbing people, aren't you? Well, yes, what I do. <laughs> okay, well, stop it. <laughs> change your life around. Repent. Let the fruit that you bear actually prove that this message of salvation, this message of repentance... The Messiah who's coming, let your life actually prove that you are living into that, that you are leaning into that. Not just words. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers. That's fun. What are you doing here, you pastors? <laughs> are we, we came to get baptized. Have you repented? Sure. John the Baptist is intense. He's intense. Repentance is a big deal in the Bible. It doesn't have a word exactly in the Old Testament. Uh, there's several words that mean repentance in the Bible, but the one that the one Hebrew word that we especially use for it is shuv. And its meaning is basically turn around and go the opposite direction. More literally, the, the word for forgiveness in the Old Testament is usually translated return. So when you see God throughout the Old Testament saying, return to me, that's basically like a repent. To me, turn your life around from the direction in which you are walking, do a 360 and walk back the other way. That's a pretty powerful understanding of repentance, because a lot of times in a church, what we want repentance to do is, Jesus, I'm sorry. Sorry again. Sorry again. Sorry. Hey, you're getting further away. I know. I'm sorry. No, you've got to come back. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I don't know, we get stuck, and especially when we're dealing with things like addiction and other things that keep us stuck in compulsions or demonic things that we need deliverance from that really hold us down in those places. Like, it often feels like we're walking this way, but Jesus wants to heal us, and he's calling us back. Come back, return, do 360 degrees, 
and shove it, the Hebrew word there, shove, right? <laughs> shove, return. Okay, forget. Return to me. Turn around and go the opposite direction. Now, in the Greek, we have a word that we actually are more concrete on translating to repentance. So the Old Testament, turn around, come back the other way. But in the Greek, in the New Testament, it's metanoia. And the idea of this is to radically change one's thinking. Have you repented in that way? Because this is another thing that the American church is not very interested in. And this goes on all perspectives of Christianity. Conservative Christianity, liberal Christianity, neither of which are putting Jesus as a focus, but political ideologies as a focus. Jesus is the political focus. He's the king of our world. And when we put our understanding on him, then when we read the Bible, we say, okay, I need to conform my mind. I need to radically change my thinking. I need to metanoia. Because when I look at Jesus... He says things that I don't want to do. Apparently, if I'm going to radically change my mind, when someone hurts me, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek so they can do it again. If I want to inherit land, I have to be meek. If I want to love my neighbor, I need to be willing to sometimes be persecuted by them and bless them anyways. That when people slander me, I need to receive that as a blessing. That's not conservative. That's not liberal. That's just straight up Jesus. But we don't usually want to conform our minds to Christ. Instead, we want to stay with whatever ideologies we take on. We say Jesus looks like this. Jesus looks like this. And we say Jesus conform your mind to us. And he's saying that's not the point. That's not repentance. That's just making Jesus in our image. And the Bible actually tells us that Jesus is the true image of God. He's the one to which we are supposed to be conforming to, not the other way around. If the Jesus that you know and love never says anything that convicts you, it may not be Jesus. Because it ends up that he doesn't always agree with us on a lot of different things. Repent. Turn 360 degrees, go back the other way. Repent. Radically change your thinking. Now, repentance in the Bible also came with actions. You just saw what John the Baptist, right? When he calls people to repentance, like, okay, so what are you going to do to really show the fruit of that repentance? I don't know. What do I need to do? Stop robbing people. Stop making, taking advantage of people. Show that you truly are repenting. And we often today like to fight about what repentance really is. Like, we're just like, oh, well, I said I'm sorry. That's good. That's actually not biblical repentance. That's a part of it. That's the acknowledgement that I'm not thinking the right way and I need to go the right way. But in the Bible, repentance often came with restitution. So like maybe a modern example would be something like reparations for slavery. There are a whole oppressed people in America saying, hey, we're not in the same place as the rest of you. Because you turned us into slaves and then you changed the law and said, it's all good now. But you didn't take care of anything that would make things all good for us. People in Texas stayed oppressed for so long because you just changed the law and you didn't even tell them over there. Reparations is not a sinful thing. It's not a weird idea. It's the acknowledgement that we repent for making slaves in America and now as restitution, we need to take a step forward to say, what else can we do to make this right? Think of Zacchaeus. 
When Zacchaeus repents, he comes before Jesus and says, anyone that I've robbed, I will pay them back seven times. The amount that I, I took from them. I had a professor who did this. Back when he was a young lad, he used to steal all kinds of things. And uh, in one of this store, he stole his favorite leather jacket. He wore it everywhere. He loved it. His favorite leather jacket. And then he got saved. And then he didn't know what to do about the leather jacket. So he went back to the store. He's like, uh, I've been reading the Bible, and I stole this from you, and I'd like to pay back seven times the amount that this cost. Will you accept? They're like, uh, just pay back the original price and get out of here. This is weird. <laughs> But that right there, that's restitution or reparations. It's the idea that things are not right and we need to fix it. With slavery, things like slavery were often like, well, that was an old generation, that's their fault and whatnot. No. We still own our nation and the things that we've done. We are corporate in our sins. The Bible's full of that all over the place. You ever realize God throughout the Old Testament does not go to the prophets and say, all right, here's a list of 100 people I need you to go to today to tell them their personal sins. No, occasionally they send them directly to people, but it's usually corporate. Hey, Israel, listen, here's the way you're acting. What is it that God would say to us in America? Hey, America, here's the way that you're acting. You turned these people into slaves, you did horrible things to them, and now you just let them free, and you know that they have no money to go on, they have no place to stay, and you're just going to let it go that way. That's, that's not happy ever after. That's a book I will write one day, by the way. It's going to be a sci-fi book in which there's this oppressed race. I'm going to spend 500 pages explaining how oppressed they were. And at the end, it's just going to say, but then slavery was abolished and they all lived happily ever after. And the point is going to be, wait, that's not how it works, right? That's the whole point of the book. I'm probably not going to write it because I'm busy. But at the end, I just wanted to be like, wait, that, that, that can't work. And that's the point. No, it cannot because that's not full repentance, because it has no restitution. John tells us to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do we soften our hearts to do that or do we keep walking? Don't worry about it, God. I'm sorry if I did that. Okay, but I told you to go apologize to that person. Yeah, no, I said I'm sorry. Yet, uh, I have more for you. Reconciliation, restitution, going above and beyond. Jesus was so intent on it. He's like, look, if you have something against your brother, then before you go and like, give, before you tithe or whatever you do, like, go find that person and fix it with them. That's how urgent this is. Make sure that you are on top of those kinds of things. Tithing for us might be an example of a way in which we need to repent as a corporate church. I mean, there are plenty of us who are tithing on a regular, faithful basis, but Jesus has been calling us forward for some time, saying, I've, I've got this plan set up for 1208 that you are now moving into. And at the same time, we have mentioned many times, if you don't give, we will not make it to that point. We will die. And that has not changed a lot of habits. We continue to not give, which is kind of, in a sense, telling Jesus, like, I know you've got a plan for this church, but... Financially, I, I enjoy putting my funds in other places rather than investing it into the ministry in which I'm a part of. And I know, I know this is brash. I don't like talking about tithing. But like the last two months, our funds have been very, very small. 
Jesus is calling us into something. And if we don't support what he's calling us into, then we're not fully putting ourselves in a repentant place to move into that. So let's make sure we soften our hearts. Because it would be a shame for 1208 to fall apart. We come before the throne of Jesus like, well, I told you what it was going to, but you didn't keep your place going. (laughs) So it just went that way. How do we repent? How do we put ourselves before Christ in manners like this? Repentance often means working it out with someone. I mentioned that too. Uh, I think of a pastor who one time got up in front of this congregation and said, look, Jesus said, go to those around you who... You need to repent too before you tithe. So before we tithe today, I want everybody to go and find that person and make things right. And the pastor said, the longest line in the church was in front of me. (laughs) So like all the way down the alley. We all have to recognize that we, we keep things and it chisels at us and it eats us up. But repentance isn't just like a, a John thing. The Bible is actually intentional that like Jesus takes over for John. For example, Matthew draws a comparison. At the start of a chapter, it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And by the end of the chapter, it says, when John was arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The torch of repentance has been handed off. Jesus came baptizing us with the Spirit, but also the continuation of John's ministry with the water. If you want to get to the deeper places of the power of the Spirit, then you have to be willing to soften your heart and repent. In fact, that's the very word that Jesus gave to us very specifically towards the beginning of this year in a very surreal event where the Holy Spirit spoke and just said, there's a cherry blossoms for 1208. It's a sign of renewal, right? Uh, throughout all cultures as a sign of renewal. But you need to repent to make space for more gifts. That was back in May, maybe. I've seen it, guys. When we gather in spare room and worship on Wednesdays, the gifts are flowing. The hearts that have repented, like the Spirit is speaking clearly, waking people up in the middle of the night with dreams, the words that we're getting around the room that are feeding into all these other words that are continuing to bolster 1208 out of people's softened hearts of repentance. The gifts have already started to be poured out. I'm getting texts from people. Spirit put this on my heart. Spirit put this on my heart. Spirit put this on my heart. Those gifts are for you too. The amount of spiritual Growth and development and stuff going on in the background right now is more than I've seen in the 11 years that I've been here at 1208. And I know it's a slow process forward, but I expect more. And I especially expect it if we soften our hearts and continue to repent. Because God gives good gifts to those who ask for it. And if you want to move on to the greater gifts, he has to trust you with the lesser ones first. Tongues, for example is a great first gift. It's not the first gift, but it's a great common first gift for people because you know how much faith you need to work that? I don't know what I just said. I don't even have proof for you that I said it anything. I know when I'm casting out demons, it makes them angry. But I don't know much more beyond that. Why do I do it? Increases my faith. Reminds me to keep walking forward. 
create space. If you can walk in this gibberish, maybe down the road, God can trust you with something much more. Paul tells us, eagerly desire the greater gifts, which implies you may not have those right now, but still want them because maybe they'll come. We work as a body and we open ourselves up to God in those ways. So Jesus continues and he keeps telling people to repent and he fills them up with the Holy Spirit. He extends it not just to Israel, but he extends it to the rest of uh, humanity as well. And you come across these moments where you find that repentance is hard for people to lead people in. It can be hard for me to lead people in as well. Uh, because intense words, like if we're not open to repentance, it actually soft or it hardens our heart. Like a Pharaoh, right? Moses keeps coming to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Repent. Change your mind. Return. And he doesn't. He hardens his heart instead. He doesn't want to listen to it. Paul had to deal with it, especially with the Corinthian church. I've heard that some churches name themselves the Corinthian church. You probably don't want to be remembered as those guys. They didn't always do great things. To the point that Paul had to specifically write them a letter. He mentions it in 2 Corinthians. And that letter was calling them to repent of a bunch of stuff that had made its way back to Paul that he's heard was going on in the Corinthian church. So whatever it was that was going on there, Paul like writes this letter and sends it to them. And scholars like to note that 2 Corinthians, Paul's tone is very different from 1 Corinthians. Paul sounds like a defeated pastor in 2 Corinthians. Someone who's kept trying to come back and, and reach these people and is having a hard time getting through to them. And so Paul reminds them, I wrote you this letter about repenting. And, and in 2 Corinthians, he, he talks about it a little bit. He says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I love that. <laughs> I don't regret what I said. I regret it, though. Uh, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. Though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Maybe you've seen that same thing with shame before. A healthy kind of shame is meant to just poke you and say, you can be better than that. That's actually like a good kind of thing. But there's also a kind of worldly shame that just holds you down, cancels you, doesn't let you get back up and keeps you there and tells you that there's no way out of this. That's not a godly shame or a godly grief, if you will. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what uh, eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Paul's like, look, I, I told you to repent. It was a hefty letter. You did not enjoy it. It grieved us all to talk about it. But in the end, I'm glad I did it because that grief produced salvation. That caused you to radically change your mind. It caused you to do a 360 and walk back. And so as we get ready to, again, repent, why are we talking on this? We did it over the summer. 
we do it because we spent two weeks on it. We did one week where we invited you to kind of do a personal repentance and another week where we did a corporate repentance. And then I was like, well, that's all the repentance is. I guess I'll just move on. And I felt kind of this tug on my heart that God was like, you're not done with that, Jamin. It's like, okay, we're just going to move on. <laughs> uh, and then God put it on someone else's heart over and over, night after night. And so uh, I bring it back before you um, to encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, do it now. Whatever it is that you're holding against someone else, whatever it is that you need to make restitution, whatever it is that you need to lie out before God, do it. Because if you don't do it, you will hurt this ministry. If you look back over the last 11 years, the times where 1208 has imploded on itself and we've lost like half of our people, it's because of moments of bitterness with a few select people that did not repent. And hearts got hardened on all sides until finally things just fell apart. That's one of the ways in which the enemy attacks the church. We're always thinking it's going to be out there. It's not. The enemy likes to get inside the walls. And when we let the sun go down on our anger, the Bible tells us it gives Satan a foothold on our lives. When Satan has a foothold on our lives, he can use those things to sabotage the church. So repent, because there are a lot of words of warning that have come in that beautiful time of, of hearing the Spirit. Words like, there's poison in your walls. Words like, I see wasps. Words like, you are in spiritual warfare already and you need to be ready. Don't stop. Be ready to fight as it comes. And God forgive us if we get all these words and then we end up being the problem because we didn't listen when he told us to repent and that imploded on ourselves. This is God's bride. We need to take care of her. For he's working on her to become this multi-ethnic, beautiful, uh, uh, non-blemished bride that carries any faults in herself. When the church has faults, Jesus calls it out. All throughout Revelation, he goes to churches and says, I like that you're doing this, but you need to repent of this. And then there's some churches that Jesus goes to in Revelation. He's like, I don't like anything you're doing, and you need to repent of this. It's interesting. If you look at the word repent, like it's all throughout the Gospels, and then just a little bit throughout uh, some of the other letters, and then suddenly Revelation comes and Jesus is talking again, and repent shows up a lot more again. Jesus cares about our repentance. So let's soften our hearts and give it to him. Here are some things uh, that God has put on people's hearts. Uh, this first one, I'm going to share a long list of someone that God has just taken on a master class on words of repentance. So these all come from the same source. Someone recently woke up to the sound of an ambulance. And as it went by this emergency sound, they heard... Uh, uh, words of repentance in their mind. They heard, scared of what people will think. Repentance is like that. But it's not about you. It's about God trying to raise up his church in glory. Scared of what people will think. Repentance is like that. We love you. We will accept your repentance. Another word. How long have you known? Would you consider obeying? 
they also saw that uh, city hydrant flushing message that's been, you've, if you've been driving around Jackson, you've seen all these hydrants being flushed and they felt God kind of use that as an analogy. So the city of Jackson on their email said, the flushing is necessary to maintain the quality of the city's water system, such as washing iron and sediment out of the water mains, cleaning pipes and refreshing the water system. Repentance is like that. We're flushing it out. I think Jesus is a great example of that. When he goes to wash his disciples' feet, and they're like, well, if we need to be washed, then just, you know, baptize us, basically. He's like, I already did that. I just need to take care of the dust that you've kicked up over time. Let's wash that off, too. It's like the hydrant system. Lamentations 3.40 came to their mind. Let us examine our ways and test them and return to the Lord. They've had words built up on the intersection of repentance, confessing sins to one another, opportunities where we leave bitterness to grow, bearing one another's burdens, uh, vulnerability. Do we let each other in? Our view of self, is it too high or too low and disengages from the family of God? Uh, Are we encouraging one another? Are we leaven, good leaven or bad leaven? It goes a long way. This past week at Spare Oom, someone felt the need to lean into the theme of home. And so as we sang songs about home, interestingly, they were all about repentance because that theme of home is very prodigal in nature. And the song lyrics came to their head. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. If you come to the end of yourself, do you thirst from a drink of the well? Jesus is calling. So come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with precious blood of Jesus Christ. So those are some words as we wrap up. Here's some more specific ones as well. And if you're not used to it, once we hit 11 o'clock, we switch into our kingdom ministry hour, which Caitlin, can you throw a slide up really quick so I remember what we have today? Um, We need help with dishes, but we also offer healing ministry in these two rooms up here. So the big room, there will be some prayer people in there. If you need prayer for anything, whether it's these words or something else, they're happy to pray for healing. We've seen healing happen when people pray, and we're always happy to do it. Uh, But also this inner room right here is our counseling room, uh, which I would like to be available for that today. So if you're thinking over some of these words of repentance and you're just like, I just need to talk this one out. Come find me anywhere, no matter what I'm doing, and we'll head in there and we'll, we'll work on some stuff. There's children's ministry in the back, and then our adult small group is up in this room as well, which Mark will be leading, which is more discussion-based if you want to go in there. So as we get ready to adjourn to that time, here's the words that uh, were on people's hearts for you today. This first one's a phrase. It's only going to make sense to you if it makes sense. Jonathan sees them. My 10-year-old daughter sees them. Jonathan sees them. My 10-year-old daughter sees them. If that makes any sense to you, feel free to ask for prayer. If you're the one that left the 99, Jesus has been chasing you down since you left, and it's time to return to him. There's prayer for panic attacks. There's prayer for religion holding you back from being transparent with pain and hurting. There's prayer for someone who finds themselves praying for pain and judgment uh, upon their enemies instead of love. There's prayer for someone who ended a relationship because they wanted to speak and not listen. And if you're dealing with a very specific kind of porn addiction that has added extra shame to you and that has caused you to keep more silent about it than others dealing with it, there's prayer for you as well. 
So we'll obviously we'll pray for anything. But if any of those words hit you in a special way and you want us to bring that before God with you, join us in those front rooms and we'll do that. All right. That being said, um, we will now I'll pray for you and then we will move into the next hour and come and go at your own convenience. Stick around for these things if you want. If you're taking off, we will catch you next week, if not sooner. But Jesus, we come before you. You are. You are the God calling us back. Jesus, in your time, Israel had been exiled. They had gone through their own kind of of painful awakening to what life now was. They had been there for a long time. But you prophesied through the prophets, look, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to catch a remnant of you because I have faithful people in Israel. There are those who are not complicit in all these other ways. And Jesus... When you come back and when John comes, both of you come talking to that remnant. It's the ones who will repent. It's the real Israelites amidst the Israelites. Those who are going to turn around and walk the other way. Those who are, are going to radically change their thinking to King Jesus. And God, we live in our own kind of pandemic world right now where many of us, uh, as we found ourselves isolated and um, stuck and not knowing what's going on and filled with anxiety because the world's falling apart. Many of us felt the pain that we had before the pandemic only grow in the pandemic and, and reach heights that they hadn't before. And you come and you invite us to repent not to live in that pain anymore, but to leave it behind us and give ourselves to Christ to have the dust washed off of us, to walk the right way, and to radically change our minds. So here we are. We want to give our hearts to you in this way today. And Holy Spirit, um, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, and we rest in that kindness now. It's a prayer that you may not want to pray. Uh, but I invite you to do it in your own heart right now. The prayer is simple. It just says, Holy Spirit, if there is something I need to repent of, do not stop convicting me until I do it. Holy Spirit, if there is something I need to repent of, do not stop convicting me until I do it. And then don't just confess, but find the restitution. Make sure your repentance is lived out. Find the reconciliation. Soften your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, this message is one that feeds into the entirety of where we are headed, not just a moment to listen and walk away. Allow God to keep working on you in this time. Love you. We'll catch you next week, if not sooner, or stick around for this hour as we get into some more stuff. Thanks.